Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. So first off, um, I just want to say thank you to Pastor and Sister Burke for the opportunity to teach. Um, I'm always thankful. It's always like a, a really good mixture of being like really upset that I have to teach because I'm nervous and I hate the work that goes into it and that, but then I'm always so thankful for the opportunity um, and I'm so thankful for everything that Pastor and Sister Burke have poured into me. When I first started thinking about this lesson, um, I was talking to Lonnie about it and I was like, I'm going to be honest, if anybody in the the college class I'm in right now hears this lesson, they're going to be like, he stole all of it. He just stole it word from word from the class. Um, and I was feeling a little self-conscious about that. And she said, she said, you know, if you were teaching mathematics, would you care that someone else taught you that one plus one equals two? Um, and just, we talked about the idea that pretty much everything that we know, everything that we say or do, um, is it's just built on things that people have poured into us. Every single lesson you've ever heard, every single sermon, um, I think we get this idea in the head that like we read a, a book or we hear a lesson or whatever, and we're like, wow, they're so good. But the truth is that they've just been receptive to the people who have been pouring into them their entire lives. Um, and so I'm not stealing this I was poured into. So let's start. Um, the first thing, today I want to talk about, um, specifically I want to talk about covenant, our covenant with God, um, what that means, what that entails, and, and what it does for us, really. But to start, I want to talk about the idea of Scripture being one story. Scripture being one, um, there's one theme, there's one purpose um, of it all fitting together. And the thing about it is that it's very easy for us to treat Scripture like it is not one story. It's very easy for us to read um, Genesis and Exodus and the story of all these kings and be like, okay, well, this is like, this is clearly history and we can choose to believe it. And so it's nice to know the history of where we came from. We can read the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, and can say like, well, it's nice to know um, that there's a song for if I'm sad or there's a proverb for me for how to live my life. It's nice to have the Gospels to know how Christ lived. Um, it's nice to have the epistles to tell us how we should live. It's nice that we have all these things, and we can take them, um, and we can take little bits out of them. And Scripture is powerful, and it's true. So it will change your life if you do that. It will change your life. It will revolutionize your life if you start to lean into Scripture. Um, but it's not meant to be taken as pieces, Right? It's not meant to be taken, you know, history here, poems here, Jesus, the life of Christ here. But if we begin to treat it like it is one story, then all those pieces start to fit together. And we realize that the history of the Old Testament isn't there just so we can know the history. It's there to inform the New Testament. And the... Oh, I made the rookie mistake of not turning off my notifications. I didn't learn my lesson from Timothy. 
Um, so if we begin to treat it like it is, we can see that all these things go into each other, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not separate pieces, but it's, a, it's one story that has many different parts and sometimes it's hard to see where that story fits together, but it's a lot like a puzzle, um, where with a puzzle, you can get one piece, or you can pick a corner of the box, and you'd be like, okay, here's the little cabin in the woods, and I'll do that part first. But the puzzle's not finished, but you begin to see more of what the box is. And then you get more of these pieces and more of these sections, and then before you know it, you see the entire, the entire puzzle the puzzles I do are like 24 pieces, so it comes together quick. So you see like this 24-piece puzzle come together quickly, but it gives you the idea that without the context of the other pieces, it doesn't, it doesn't amount to anything. But when we understand that Scripture is a compilation of all these pieces, we can begin to see the bigger picture. So when we, if we choose to believe that Scripture the Bible is one story, to use, uh, to use the phrase, this is what I'm going to start stealing from other people. To use the, the phrase, big idea from uh, Brother Norris, what is the big idea of the Bible then? What is the big story? Um, he uses the terms, I wouldn't have said this normally, he uses the terms meta-narrative. Na- narrative is the story. Meta-narrative is the story that's underneath the surface that runs throughout the entire Bible. We're not going to go back to that, so don't worry. if It doesn't matter. What is the big idea of the Bible, then? If we choose to believe that it is one painting with multiple puzzle pieces. The Bible can be summed up into two parts. The first part is very brief. It's like three or four chapters long. And it's the creation of a perfect world and then the immediate fall of that world. You're given um, Adam and Eve in the garden, who are, they, have, they exist in perfect covenant, in perfect relationship with God. They walk with him, they talk with him, um, they are with him presently. Everything is perfect. There is no death, there's no sin. All of these things have yet to enter, and that's the way it was supposed to be. That was, that was God's initial plan. And then, so that's like, five chapters of the Bible. Um, and then, as we know, Adam and Eve sin, and we lose that, that, um, that paradise, that perfect communion, that, that covenant with God is broken, right? So then you, immediately you get um, man is cursed to die, man is kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and um, perfect covenant is lost. So the rest of the Bible... From there on out, the rest of the Bible is the story of God trying to bring that covenant back. The rest of scripture, even when it doesn't seem like it, is all building up to God restoring his perfect covenant with his people. And so in the times where it doesn't necessarily make sense or we don't see that, it's important to remember all of scripture is God trying to restore his covenant, trying to reconcile with his people. And specifically, all of Scripture is the reconciliation of Christ. The Old Testament builds up and points to Christ. Everything that happened in the Old Testament had to have happened so that Christ could have came. Without 
without the story of Israel, without um, the story and all the things that the Jewish people had to go through, um, without all of those things, Christ couldn't have came. But even though, even though the, in the beginning we were in perfect covenant with God, even then God had a plan. Scripture says that, um, that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So before, before Adam and Eve ever messed up, God had a plan. The big story of the Bible was pointing towards Christ still, because he knew. So it points towards the death, burial, burial and resurrection of, of Christ. Um, and I want to go down to Hebrews 8.6, and it says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So there is a new covenant with Christ that the old covenant points to. But I think, I think we sometimes can fail to see, um, we think the point of the Bible was Christ to come. We think the point of the Bible was Christ to die and to be resurrected. But the truth is that, that God didn't come, um, he didn't come just so that he could live a perfect life, that he could be the spotless sacrifice, that he could die and be resurrected. The point of Christ's entire ministry was so that the gift of the Holy Spirit could be poured out. He had to accomplish what he had to accomplish specifically so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out. The whole Bible is pointing towards that one, po- that po- one moment, and from there is when it expands. Acts 2.38, of course, right? Acts 2.38 and 2.39 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, who for, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God, God calls to himself. That's the moment in Scripture where everything had been building to. Everything had been building to the moment where Peter could say, and the promise is for you and for your children. That's when the promise, that's when God's reconciliation process comes to a point where it can begin to apply to everybody. Because before that, in the previous covenant, it was limited. In the previous covenant, there was the Holy of Holies. And there was only one spot and one person at a time who could go and who could receive the Spirit, who could be in the presence of God. So God's plan was to restore that, restore that ability to get us back to Eden where we could walk presently, every single one of us, with Christ. And that is the point. I said all that to say that, that, that Scripture points to Christ in his life, but specifically it points to the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. So before I continue, I want to talk about what covenant is. Because my whole life people talked about covenant, and I was like, yep, covenant, mm-hmm but I had no idea what it meant. Even in class, uh, I would, you know, I'm taking notes on what covenant is, but I don't even know what it means. Um, So the the first way I want to talk about what covenant is is by talking about what it is not. And it is not a contract. There's a big difference between covenant and contract. Um, The best example for covenant that I've seen and that I continue to use is marriage. So if your marriage was just a contract... All you would have to do is sign a piece of paper, no ceremony, no nothing, um, no keeping up the relationship, um, 
And anyone who's married knows that if all you did was that, it would not be a marriage for very long. Right? A contract has, has strict stipulations. Um, if the contract says that um, I need you, Austin, to you know, pick up the room every single day, and that's on the marriage contract, and I don't do that, the contract's broken. The contract is void. Right? Um, a contract is when two people agree to very specific terms, and as soon as one party breaks them, the other party can immediately back out. And I, I think it's dangerous to get into the mindset, whether we know it or not, that our relationship with God is contractual. Because then, if it's contractual, that's where condemnation can come in. And then we begin to ask questions like, am I still saved? Or, if I make this mistake, am I out? But that's how a contract would work. But you have not entered into a contract with Christ. You have entered into a covenant. And covenants are relational. There are stipulations to a covenant. You can back out of them. But they're relational. Right? So because my wife and I aren't perfect and we argue, it does not mean that our covenant is broken. Because we have a relationship. Now there are things I can do to do irreparable damage to my marriage. And then that's that. And I can choose to walk away from that. But being imperfect does not break the covenant. And just so in a marriage where the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, that's how it is with God. And you can allow yourself to, you can allow yourself to enter into his covenant and just coast. And we've seen that with many people. We've seen it with ourselves and our own marriages and our own walk with God. It's possible to coast. But that's not what he's calling to us towards. So a covenant is a, relation, it's a relationship that we enter with God. And in order to be initiated into that covenant, we have to have his name applied to us. Numbers 627 says, so they, shall call on, so they shall put their name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. To put the Lord's name on something is to begin the, the covenant process. And that's why when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of Jesus. When we go down into the water, in the name of Jesus, we have been initiated into his covenant. Now, it's not the only step. We have to repent. We have to receive the Holy Ghost. But that's, that's how it works, is God will put his name on somebody, and that's how the process begins. And then once you're in covenant with him, you will increase in covenant with him. And through that increase, you will receive more understanding of who he is. And that's the point I want to make today is that when you're in covenant with God, he will reveal himself to you. Scripture says that the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. As we begin to know him, we will gain understanding. And how do we gain understanding? Through revelation of God. And so, again, before I continue, I want to talk about what revelation is. So we know that covenant is relation, relational. It's not contractual. We enter covenant with God through his name. And it's something that we continue in. And he will reveal himself to us as we seek him. And as he reveals himself to, to us, we will receive a greater understanding of who he is. And so first and foremost, a revelation is not, I wrote extra biblical. It is not more than what you find in the scripture. Okay? Um, 
if you're receiving a revelation and it doesn't sound like anything you've read in the Bible, maybe that's not a revelation, right? So there's a reason why we have all of these crazy theologies um, like Joseph Smith received revelations from an angel, but none of those revelations were in the Bible and then you get divergent theologies. That's why people received revelation of um, the Trinity, but we don't find those in the Bible. So the key to revelation is like in the times of the apostles, they didn't have the New Testament, but everything Christ was doing was built on existing principles in the Old Testament. So he will not give you a new word that contradicts himself. Where scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is an established principle. So there will not be a new doctrine or a new theology or a new revelation, no matter how, how puzzling it may seem in the moment, there will not come a new word that contradicts who God is. So we have to be sure in our own lives, whenever we feel like God's revealing something to us or he's dealing with us, we have to make sure that our personal thoughts, our personal revelations are lining up with what we see in scripture. And we even have to do it with the sermons that we hear. Teachers, I, the, I realize that I might, be, I might be doing myself to service here, but teachers are not perfect. They don't have the full picture. Um, they're dealing with what they do have. So everything that we hear, every revelation from God must be brought back to Scripture the same way that they did it for the early church. Galatians 1.8 says that even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So don't let revelation come that's not from Scripture. Because God will give you real revelation, but it will always be founded on Scripture. And what revelations will do is they will open up our understanding of what we already see in Scripture. And to use this as an example, I want to talk about Exodus 6.3. Exodus 6.3 says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh I was not fully known to them. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I was not fully known to them. But we know for a fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God as Yahweh. They knew him as Yahweh. So is God contradicting himself here when he says, by my name Yahweh, I was not fully known to them? No. What he's saying is that, when he's saying that, by the way, he's speaking to Moses. God is saying that, I had covenant with all these people, but I was not fully known to them that there was more to be revealed about who I was and my character and my attributes than what Abraham knew. The covenant of Abraham, um, let's see how much I want to read of this. Start with Genesis. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then God goes on to call him to the covenant of um, circumcision. So that's, that's the covenant that God has with Abraham. And that's what the children of Israel endured with until Moses. 
And then with Moses, they received the law. This is in Exodus. It says, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he took half the blood, excuse me, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in hearing of the people. He took the book of the covenant. That's what they referred to as the law, the book of the covenant. And all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So we see a pattern set in Scripture. We see a pattern set in Scripture that there is an existing covenant. It is Yahweh, and it is Yahweh to Adam and Eve. It is Yahweh to Abraham. It is Yahweh to Moses. But he says, I was not fully known to them. So we see the pattern set that God will reveal to his people. And every time he does, the covenant gets a little bit more involved. Abraham didn't have the law. Abraham had the single covenant that if you will follow me and if you will circumcise your people, we will be in covenant together. Moses was given the law. And then in Hebrews 8, in Hebrews 8 it says, um, about Christ again, it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So no doubt Moses thought that he had the full covenant. No doubt Moses thought that um, he had received all the word that God had. But, it, but when the Lord commands Moses, he says, go and, and build what you saw. So Moses is building a copy. He's not bringing what he saw. He's building what he saw, right? And what he saw was the perfect covenant. But even with Moses, it's a replication. So there's more to Yahweh than we haven't seen at the time of Moses. And to reference that, um, one of my favorite verses, it talks, it's, in, it's in Corinthians, it's talking about um, the Israelites, and it talks about the rock that followed them, and that um, from that rock came water. And in Corinthians, it says that that rock was Christ. So you can see that, that there is more in the New Testament that we can look back and see if we view it as one story that Moses didn't realize, but the rock that was with him was Christ. So when we, whenever we more clearly understand the nature, the characteristics, or the identity of God, we have received revelation. Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. That's a revelation and again, it will always line up with what Scripture says. And there was, one, there was one final revelation that God had to give. And that was the revelation of himself. In the fullness of God, everything that they thought they knew in the Old Testament about God, the fullness of him is revealed in Christ. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ is all the fullness of Christ of God. Um, even so much so that, and, this, is, and this, this lays out the principle of how revelation works. Jesus is not a new God. 
Jesus' name literally means Yahweh saves. Jesus is the salvation from Yahweh. So revelation will never bring us a new God. It will never bring us a new word. It will never bring us something that scripture doesn't already hold. But it will always expand on what God has already given us. Um, So I was talking to my wife about this lesson and I was going over it and I was like, so what do you think? And she's like, it's really good, but why? Like, Like, so what? And that is when I was thankful that it was covenant, not contract. But she said, so what? So like, what, what does that mean? Like, okay, so you can like, you can talk about this, but what does that mean for us? Um, what are the benefits to being in covenant? What does that mean for how we live our lives? And to discuss that, I, I want to, to discuss that, I want to talk about the road to Emmaus in the book of Luke. So the road to Emmaus takes place after Christ has been crucified um, and he's risen. And some of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and um, they, haven't, they don't yet know that Christ has been, Christ has been resurrected. So I want to read, read this story, but when I do, I want you to be aware that when, when Luke wrote the road to Emmaus, he wrote it as... Um, uh, the word just slipped my mind. He wrote it as a representation for how the Old Testament works. So in the story of the road to Emmaus, the road is the Old Testament, okay? Everything that happens is the story of the Bible up to Christ. I'm going to explain that more, but I wanted to talk about it briefly just so we're aware. So this is going to be a little bit lengthy. I will try not to drone, so stay with me. It says Luke 24, 13, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, the death of of Christ. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So you see they're on this road and Christ is with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And that's where we see the first hint that this is the pattern of the Old Testament. Christ was with them the entire time throughout the Old Testament, but scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. (laughs) They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? That's just very funny to me that they stood there looking sad and and then they have the audacity to ask Christ, like, do you not even know, like, why I look so sad? It's like one of those situations where you've been around people who are, like, putting on a really good pouty face and you're like, yes, like, please tell me. And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. It shows you what they thought about Christ. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
<clears throat> so part of their sadness is not only the fact that Christ is gone, but with it, their dream, right? Their dream of a future for Israel is dead. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. <clears throat> Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at a tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So not only are they sad, um, not only is their, is their future dead according to themselves, but they have these insane ladies running around saying that they've seen him. So it's like, just like insult to injury, like of course, like now we have to go through one more thing. And Christ said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here we go back to, here we go back to the allegory. That was the word. Here we go back to the allegory of the road to Emmaus being the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted in them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is walking with them, and they don't know it, and he's showing them throughout the entire Bible, this is why I had to die. This is why I had to come. This is why I had to, to, to suffer such a horrible fate. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted, I love this part, he acted as if he were going further. So they got to the village and they stopped, and Christ just kept going. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened up the scriptures? I love that. Did not our hearts burn within us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And you know that those women were so vindicated. When those guys got back and they're like, he's real, you're right. You like, it was just like, you know they heard about it later. Let's just say if the roles were reversed and it was me, you would be hearing about it later. So there's a few things about the road to Emmaus that shows us how the covenant works. We see the pattern of the Bible laid out in the road to Emmaus. Christ is with them. They don't see it. And he's explaining to them all these things that must be. And then, in the moment of the breaking of the bread, he, Christ is revealed. And as we, know from, as we know from earlier in the Gospels, the breaking of the bread is symbolic with the breaking of the body of Christ. The breaking of the bread, specifically, is the crucifixion. So you notice that Christ is revealed to them in the crucifixion. Christ is revealed through scripture, 
through the crucifixion. Everything that we don't understand about the Old Testament is revealed in Christ through his death. So, the life of Christ, why he came, when he reveals himself, and as we know, him revealing himself is part of his covenant process, it helps us to understand the scriptures. I'm going to go back to Hebrews 8, again, for the third time. In, in Hebrews 8, he's quoting Jeremiah, and he's saying, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And this is in Jeremiah, and listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed them no concern. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That sounds an awful lot more like Christ. So Jeremiah is recontextualized in Hebrews. Now that we know that God was revealed in Christ. So the more revelation we have, it helps us to understand the scriptures. It reveals the meaning of the scriptures to us in ways that we could not have known. Another thing, another thing that covenant helps us with is it helps us recontextualize the past. And the example from that is when they get to Emmaus and Christ is gone, they say, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened up the scriptures? You see, on the way, they were receiving the benefit. They were receiving the knowledge and the understanding as God opened up the scriptures. But they didn't realize that their heart was burning within them because they were walking with Christ. And when you continue in covenant with God, he will recontextualize the past that you went through. So in the moments where you think, why do I have to go through this struggle? Why is this happening to me? Um, Why am I in this season this drought or in this season of fear or this season of anger or why do I have to go through these troubles? I promise you, if you stay the course, if you run the race, God will reveal himself to you and in time, you will begin to understand what you went through in the past was for a specific reason and God will open up your eyes to his plan. He will open up your eyes to, what, to, to the reasons why we had to do the things we had to do. But that will only come if, if we stay with him. We may go through a struggle, and if we decide to quit in the struggle, we'll be like, we'll have this tendency to say, well, this happened, and I just couldn't take it. And we will never know what we were going through and why we were going through it. Another thing that covenant allows us to do is to experience his presence. But there's a catch to that. I want to talk more about Abraham and Moses. And Abraham, his covenant was very simple. You will follow me. You will love me. You will follow the covenant of circumcision. Very limited. And then with Moses, Moses got access to be in the presence of God. With Moses, they received the law. And through the law, they were able to build the temple. And they were able to go into the presence of God. 
but they had the law. So the people of Moses, they had more access to God, they had more access to his presence, but with that came an increased commitment. With that came an increased ask from God that I will be with you if you do these things. If you don't do these things and you try to enter into my presence, there will be consequences. So part of covenant is to reveal to us that there is more of God for us to experience, but there is not more of God for us to experience unless there is more commitment on our end. Another thing, to continue moving, another thing about covenant with him, and I want to read this scripture again. Luke 24, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. You see, this could have been a very different story they could have had their eyes revealed, or excuse me, they could have had their eyes opened to why Christ had to come. They could have had their eyes opened to the details, the knowledge. But if they had not asked him to stay, they would have never known the person. Right? They had an opportunity here where they could have missed out knowing that the person that was with them was Christ. They could have spent the whole rest of their lives wondering, like, why? Why did my heart burn within me so And they would have never known because they wouldn't have taken that one step. You see, God will never force a covenant on you. He's lifted up and he calls all men to him. And he will keep going. He acted as if he was going further. And he will keep going without us unless we ask him to stay with us. The first commitment we have to have for Christ to increase in covenant is to desire him is to desire his presence. Even if we don't know the full picture, even if we don't have the whole story, if we ask him, then he will be revealed to us. Scripture says that he stands at the door and knocks. Or, in this analogy, he walks away from us down the road. But he's with us, and all it takes is for us to say, stay with us. It is always voluntary. To increase in covenant with him is always voluntary. When he is with us, he will always give. He will always pour into us. He will always reveal himself. As long as we are asking him to stay with us. And the final benefit I want to talk to you about today, as far as being in covenant with God, is that when you enter in covenant with him, you will your relationship, when you allow your relationship to become a relationship and to not be just contractual, if I do this, I'll get into heaven. That's really good. Right? But if you allow to have a covenant with you, you need to fit into the big story. If you you guys can hear me? If you allow yourselves to engage with God in covenant and not contract, and contract is when you're only concerned with whether or not you will make it into heaven. You're only concerned with whether or not what you're doing is enough. But if you engage with him in covenant, 
you will begin to fit into that same big story about him restoring his covenant with his people. And not to sound like, not to overly romanticize it, but when you begin to engage with God in covenant, the small puzzle pieces of your life will begin to fit together in ways that you had not known. But more specifically, the puzzle piece of your life will fit together with the rest of the body of Christ. And it's possible that you may live your entire life and never know how did I fit into the body? How did I fit into the church? What did my relationship with God give anybody besides myself? It's possible you may live your entire life never, never seeing the outside of the borders of your puzzle piece. But I promise you, if you are serving God, if you are living in covenant with him, you will fit into a bigger story. And it is through covenant that we engage with the story that scripture is telling. It is through covenant that we engage with the will and the plan of God. When we are one with Christ, when we know him, when we have asked him into our lives, when we seek him, when we allow ourselves to study and to spend time in prayer so that he is revealed to us, we are engaged in the same story that's been told ever since the fall, and that is restoring his covenant with his people. Because for whatever reason, good or bad, he has chosen us to enact his will. He sent us his spirit, and now we are the church. And we begin to fit into that bigger story when we act in covenant with him. So today, I want to pray with me that we would receive a revelation of his will for us and a revelation of the covenant that he has with his people. Um, there's a, I'm realizing now that there was a bunch that I, I missed over concerning, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Um, but he has a plan for us. He wants us to be in covenant with him. So pray with me, church, in closing.